Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. and 15 show. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thanks for listening, whether live or archive. Hey, listen, I'm sitting out on my porch here in Colorado Springs. It's 830 at night, our time on just a beautiful, well, we got summer early. We kind of went from from a winter and kind of jumped over spring, so we're going to call it sprummer. I don't even know if that's a word. And we're just enjoying some great um, weather in the evenings. Our portion today, we're going to be talking about engaging the consciousness of the mixed multitude. I know you guys are familiar with that phrase. You've heard of it before. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. We are in Zohar, Volume 1, portion, Bereshit A, Chapter 20, The Mixed Multitude, and we're in verse 229. For those of you using the English Zohar by the Kabbalah Center, it's on pages, we're on page 290 and 291. There are many types of negative people that are in your mix. And I have to tell you, I had the most unusual day today. I will not go into it, but it was an unusual day today. And I always say that people are sent in your life as messages from the universe on stuff that you're supposed to be working on in your own life. And if that's really true, and I think that it is, I have a lot of things I need to work out because I met a lot of interesting people and situations today. But there are many, many types of negative people in your mix. I want to read to you real quick, Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. Remember now, Israel's making their way out of the desert. And in Exodus 12, 38, so we'll start with 37. Now, the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramsey to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. And the mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds and very large number of livestock. Now, the mixed multitude, we don't hear a lot more about them. Um, if you look this up in your Bible you'll, and you read some Christian commentary, you'll see these nice little comments where these people were amazed at the power of God Almighty, and they decided they wanted to follow him, and so they left with the Israelites. And that may or may not be true. All we know is that a mixed multitude, this could be Egyptians, this could be non-Jews, this could be slaves, it could be, it's a mixed multitude. We don't know what they are. Kind of like a grab bag. You get the bag, and you don't know what's inside. And this mixed multitude later begins to play out in some of the things that happen after Israel makes it across the Red Sea and some of the different events that are going on. But we have got mixed multitudes. We've got negative consciousness in our lives. People that are in our lives, not for the sake of creator of the creator for his creations, but just on their own. And their consciousness is all around us. It's, it's there to try and steal away our joy, steal away our hope. Here's one I say I talk about a lot. And the thrill of discovery, I do not believe that everything that's going to be discovered about Jesus has already been discovered, that everything that's going to be taught about him has already been taught, and we're just in this big, giant period of rehashing the same things. I think there's new things out there. In Genesis 126, 
The Bible tells us that God made man in his own image, his own image and his own likeness, to make him a leader over creation, to, to give him the ability to govern the world. Well, I'll ask you, how's that working out? How's it working out? I mean, how have we gotten so far off the path? In Psalms 85, a conversation breaks out between God and the angels, and the angels say, what is man that you're mindful of him? Look at this guy. Uh, look, look at the way they treat each other. Look at the way they treat your creation. Look at the way they treat the animal. Just look at this. Why, why do you even think about this guy? Why do you think about man? Well, let's remember that we are children created by our father with part of him in us, like a God particle. And I want to clear something up. I'm not convinced that God despises other faith traditions. I think God hopes that everybody will come to know him. But there is no spiritual reason for looking down on someone who practices their faith for the benefit of others. And we really need to start having some conversations about this. I want to say that again. There's no possible spiritual reason for looking down on someone who practices their faith, whatever that faith may be, in a way that benefits others. Now, I want to talk about three kinds of consciousness. I think we'll have time for three. We're going to try and squeeze them in. It's going to be a foot race. Here we go. The creator calls us to live a life of faith and certainty. What would be the opposite of that? Doubt and uncertainty would be. And the Amalekites play a huge role in this. The Old Testament documents refer to a tribe known as the Amalekites. Now, the Catholics will teach that clans and tribes in the Old Testament are literal. I mean, they really existed. They, they really were there. And they're also an example or a metaphor, part of the ongoing mission to bring Israel to its correction. And the Amalekites have a particularly rich history with Israel. Not a happy one, but a rich history. And it hits its apex. I want to tell you the story about it. It hits its apex with King Saul on the battlefield. God commands King Saul to go to the Amalekites and destroy them. And it's one of those very difficult portions of Scripture to read because it talks about killing everything. Men, the warriors, the men, the women, the children, the animals, slaughter everything. This is God's command. Wait, we can't explain that away. So well, it, meant that it, it means exactly what it says. Now, Saul disobeys God, and he decides not to do it. Because when he gets in there, he finds out they got some pretty fine women, they got some pretty fine animals, so he keeps some of them. And, and God and Saul have a conversation together where a famous line in the Bible comes up. God goes to King Saul. They're celebrating the big victory, and God says to King Saul, hey, what's that bleeding of the sheep's I hear? And then there's a big conversation that comes out. Now, in, that, in the Amalekites' history, Saul gets struck down on the battlefield. He's lying wounded and he's dying. And a young man comes up to him and basically puts him out of his misery. And he takes his crown and his shield and he takes it to King David and tells him, your king has fallen in the battlefield. This is what happened. And he knew that he had because he had the king's crown and the shield. And David says, okay, who are you? And the young man responds back, I'm an Amalekite. And David has him slaughtered right in front of him. Again, more hard things to realize. But the Amalekites represent this doubt, this uncertainty, all through the generation that leaves Exodus and the generation that enters the promised land is sometimes referred to as the forgotten generation. How sad would it be to have your life be called the forgotten generation? Because the Bible goes on to say all those that doubted, because remember, they were at, they were there, they were there, ready to go. And they came back and said, oh, there's giants in the land, we can't take it. All those that doubted had died. Moses has gone off at this point on his own, and Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that are left. 
That whole generation's bones is spread all throughout the wilderness because of disbelief. There are many different consciences in our lives that attempt to compromise our certainty. And the minute we begin, <coughs> the minute we begin to become uncertain, the moment that happens, and we start to live in uncertainty, that's when darkness comes in. The clipot, the covering, that covers up our lives. Did God really mean that? Can this work out for me? Am I destined to be significant? Am I destined to have meaning? All these things. The second consciousness, so doubt and uncertainty, that's one consciousness, that kind of negativity that people try to bring in your life. You say you want to be a great ballet dancer. You want to say you want to be an NFL field goal kicker. You say you want to be a pastor. Whatever these things may be, you say you want to be, there's always going to be these people in your lives. There's doubt and uncertainty. Oh, that can't happen. Next is what I call the suddenly syndrome. The suddenly syndrome, the victim consciousness. Oh, look what's happened to me. Look what's happened to me. It's important to remember that the actions and results in our lives are manifestations of our thoughts and our words. Not much suddenly happens. Even though it may feel like it does, not much suddenly comes on. Like you suddenly don't like your job or you suddenly this. Or it's been building towards it and building towards it. These have been events that have been going on for some time and we're not dealing with the things we need to deal with. And maybe our awareness increases, but there's no such thing as suddenly. Now, I want to say this. Some life events are very painful. Some we can prepare for, some we cannot. But they all can be used to make us a better and stronger version of ourselves. And the suddenly syndrome is the people that are in your life. So the first negativity, the consciousness, is a doubt and uncertainty. Did God really mean that? Do you think this is going to work out? How will we handle it? What's going to happen? And the second kind of consciousness is a victim consciousness. Something's always happening to them. Uh, another name for them is energy vampires because that's truly what they can become. They can become, they just suck the life out of you. And we have to realize that the minute that we begin to appear to ourselves as a victim, the minute we begin to, to feel that victim consciousness come on, the light is out. It's out of our lives. We're living in darkness at that moment. Third kind of consciousness to me is the most popular one that we see. Not the doubt and uncertainty is not popular. But the third one is the self-promoter's consciousness. These are people that are simply in your life, they're simply in my life, not because of us, but because of what we do, so that they can get moving forward or get a better job or get a better position in the church. Their purpose, their sole purpose, is to prevent the handing down of usable spiritual wisdom to others so that they can figure things out on their own. Their interest is to protect their own traditions. They build churches, they build schools of ministry, they build programs, all for their own sakes and not for the sake of others. You know, it's really interesting in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Somehow this has just simply been regulated to kind of like a uh, Sunday school lesson, but it's a powerful, a powerful consciousness. <coughs> and these people are all talking, and they decide they want to build like this building that goes up into heaven. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but they did. And they're getting ready to do this, and God is watching them. And he makes an interesting remark. He says, <coughs> they all speak one language, and whatever they put their mind to, they can accomplish. That almost sounds to me like he's saying, hey, if they want to build a building that gets all the way up into the tower, up into heaven, they can do it. So the end result, we all know the story. God confuses their language, and then they can't communicate, and for some reason the building goes off, and all the other catastrophes that happen. But in Genesis 11, is a very interesting part, and I think this is what catches God's attention. 
In Genesis 11, these group of self-promoters, they, they make two statements. The first one is, build ourselves a city. And the second statement is, we'll make ourselves a name. Let me say that again. These self-promoters, consciousness, dangerous consciousness, it's all about them. It's about making a name for themselves. In Genesis 11, verse 4, build ourselves a city, make ourselves a name. You know, I've always wondered, and I know this is just, maybe I'm just being sour, and I'll be the first guy to admit that, but isn't it, I always wonder why a pastor puts his name on the church building. I'm just curious. I can understand if he has a special speaker coming in or an event, but you go by and it says, you know, Pastor Joe Taganucci, you know, Pastor Robert Weldon, Reverend Dr. John Smith third, to the third power. I always wonder why is that on there? What are you building your life for? What are you building your your spirituality for? What are you doing that for? Are you building it just so you can feel better about it? You know, kind of like the guy who says, hey, I'm going to start working out because I just want to look good with my clothes off. I mean, that's admirable, but that's all about you. How about you want to exercise and eat right because you want to live long and you want to contribute back to the community and you want to be there for your wife and your kids. It's always about them. Worth noting, many religious leaders, teachers, and pastors endorse the idea of purge and exclusion type approaches, but they seldom have worked because the flood didn't work. Remember, Babel is post-flood. It's after the flood. Their focus is on the desire to receive for self alone because they know they can gain from it. They write rules to control the crowd. This is religion and religious practice at its heart. And in my lifetime, I have never seen more of a push by the church to look and dress like the entertainment industry to brought people more in. Pastors and leaders are seldom identifiable from the congregants. And people spend much of their time looking at how to put, put other people together. And some people are really good at it. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build buildings, a city for ourselves. I want you to think about your life for just a minute like a movie, and you're the producer, the director of it. And you got to look around in your life, and you find these people, the doubt and uncertainty consciousness, the victim consciousness, the self-promoters are simply in your life to see what you could do for them. And you find these people in your life, and you got to ask yourself, why are they in my movie? Why is this negativity in my movie? And if it's negative and it doesn't belong in your movie, as a director of your movie, remember, you can cast them out. You can write them out of your script. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. And again, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to the next episode of the Zohar for 15.